listening to Keith Price's Curtain Call. It seems like we're going to be, this is going to become, I think, the Samuel French extravaganza. Because first of all, I'm sitting here now with, um, how do I, how do, well, I know who you are. He won't even give me a chance. See, because he knows that I have a bit of a crush on him. So that's why it's hard for us to have a normal conversation. But I'm sitting here with Bruce Lazarus, who is the chief, what is your title? I am the executive director of Samuel French. He's the man that's in charge of making sure that plays, musicals that are being presented outside of this area of New York City? Of course, because usually you get them afterwards, right? Let, let me tell you what we do. <laughs> I know you know, but you let me, let me articulate you, you tell it. So, tell it. so um, we are, first of all, Samuel French is the oldest, Af- uh, established in 1830, 186 years old, uh, the oldest and largest publisher and licensor of stage plays and musicals. So we look for um, great uh, plays and musicals, uh, whether they're on Broadway or off-Broadway or even regionally, um, and uh, we acquire the rights to publish the play and license the play on behalf of the author, so we become the author's agent in the secondary markets, and we will license um, the plays um, usually outside of New York City, although sometimes in New York City, and sometimes we even have first-class rights, Broadway rights that have come to us. But for the most part, we're licensing plays and musicals um, in regional theaters, lort theaters, professional theaters, dinner theaters, community theaters, colleges, high schools, um, uh, middle schools, elementary schools. We do, you know, uh, theater um, for a young audience. We do... um, uh, uh, professional theater. We have a, a, mar- a licensing team that is broken up now. We used to have it broken up into regional, you know, regions, like someone handled, you know, um, uh, the mid, exactly. Uh, but now we've, we've changed that, and now we have experts. So we have a team of at least two people in each department that handle just high schools, or just theater for a young audience, or just colleges. We have a, the largest professional team in the industry. We have um, uh, our entire licensing team is 14 here in uh, New York, another um, eight in London, um, and we cover the world. We just brought on a, a whole international department. Um, we've um, uh, we've made a deal with International Creative Management to handle all of their. Uh, international licensing coupled with our own international licensing and so we are now uh, a force in in, uh, in in the worldwide market in, in English and in all foreign languages um, so um, and we so we have a team here in New York that does international as well as in London and we're building that team even bigger so that's our core business and we support that through a very vibrant marketing department right. um, uh, four years ago when I got here, we had one person in marketing. We now have six people in New York and another uh, three people in London. So we have a really dynamic marketing department, um, which n- no one else in our in our little industry um, has or, or, or pays attention to. And we also do advocacy on, be- on behalf of playwrights. 
Um, uh, in fact, uh, we've done in the past a, uh, a series of panels called Rights Week and put out a white paper called Owning Their Words, which is about how playwrights, um, uh, the rights playwrights have in their works and why it's important that people pay for their works and, and, um, and abide by the playwrights' wishes. The playwrights own these copyrights and they can determine how they want the play done. We have a very vibrant um, compliance and enforcement department to make sure that people aren't changing the play uh, and aren't, um, you know, casting the play against the author's wishes. You know, sometimes the author says, no, this part has to be played by this kind of a, a character. You can't mix men and women. Sometimes they say, it's great. Let's um, let's um, have a, you know totally blind casting. Uh, in fact, we just got noticed that from Fun Home that they are totally open to um, uh, uh, blind interracial casting. So, which would make it very interesting. You know, we we uh, we handle the rights for Natasha Pierre, which is opening on Broadway uh, in October, and uh, it, it was recast with uh, an African American in the role of Natasha. I saw her in. Um, in, in Boston, she's marvelous. She's really fantastic, and and in a way, it enhances the play. Is it historically correct that an African American would be playing uh, this part during the uh, um, uh, in Russia at, in the eighteen hundreds? No, but once you accept that. It, it, it makes the, it gives a, a richness to the play that, that's unexpected. So what we do at Samuel French is um, we, we are here to represent playwrights and to stand for, um, for them being able to make a living out of the work they do, to stand for in the enforcement of their rights in their works, and also to help them navigate um, the landscape, which is really changing with technology these days and with um, uh, uh, the politics of, of, of race and ethnicity and gender. And, um, and so we're, we, uh, we're very proud of that stand we take for authors. I love that Bruce Lazarus with me here on Keith Price's Curtain Call. And we're talking about the work that Samuel French does to protect authors and to protect writers because, again, like even in the music business, there is a lot of loss that these these individual creators suffer because there is no real good sense of protection. Now, for you, when you were talking about how the uh, playwrights, for say, may insist upon um, casting certain things a certain way because they want to re have a respect to the integrity of the piece, there was recently something I remember reading about um, the mountaintop where... Katori Hall's play where they wanted to have Martin Luther King played by a white man and that caused a big ripple. Actually it's it's interesting. Um I be, you know it it's actually not our play. Mm -hmm. Um but I followed that uh that um issue. And, and also two hands on a hard body too. I remember there was a huge thing in Houston that a, and that was yours piece. About, that wasn't about race. But right, that was just about Changing, changing the play, play. Yeah. but but the mountaintop is interesting because I think it it opens up a whole lot of issues. So I believe the story is is that the producer said they wanted to do the play with a black Martin Luther King and a white Martin Luther King, 
to which I believe Katori Hall said, no, you cannot do it with a white Martin Luther King. I'm not sure how it went down, but in any event, they only did it with a white Martin Luther King. I believe that's, that's right. And she objected to it, and, and, you know, we support playwrights. So if that was our play, we would have gone in and said, no, you can't do it, cease and desist, stop, you know, you cannot do it. But I think it opens a different question, which nobody is quite addressing. The, 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 the right of the author to, to say, I want it played by a certain uh, ethnicity, uh, whether it's, you know, it must be a Chinese actor and not a Korean actor, right. um, or it must be played by an African-American. I think it begs the question of, who is African-American? So. Uh, and 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 I've I've actually brought this up at, at a at a dramatist guild meeting and uh, I didn't get a lot of uh, interest in the conversation. <laughs> but the, really, if you think about it, so if someone is um, uh, has a, 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 a an African American uh, uh, one parent and a, and a, a Caucasian other parent, mm -hmm. are they African American? If they are one quarter or one eighth or one sixteenth. And they're light-skinned. Can they play? Can they play Martin Luther King? Where Where do you? How do you draw that line? Um, you know, uh, Edward Albee actually insists that he see the photographs of every actor that wants to be in his play. Wow. Now, if we had every playwright demanding to do that, we couldn't be in business because right. it, it would be un unwieldy. Um, but short of that. How, how do you determine who is qualified under whatever standard you say? Um, uh, again, our, our position is to support the playwright, and, and we just want the playwright to be able to articulate what it is that we're supporting. So we have a thing coming up um, at the end of September called Identity Week. Um, one of the things that we do at Samuel French is... Um, to uh, be a forum for discussions, whether it's about rights. I mentioned we, we have a, a white paper and we did a rights week. Um, this year, our, our pan we're going to do a uh, four-evening uh, panel. We're doing it in, in, uh, in um, um, collaboration with uh, Playbill and HowlRound. It'd be live-streamed um, worldwide by HowlRound. Um, and it's called Identity Week, and it deals with the author's issues in regards to um, race and ethnicity and, uh, and gender and, and transgender. Um, and it, it covers a lot of different uh, areas, not only just casting, but you know, issues like, is there an expectation that an Asian-American writer is going to write only about Asian-American characters or issues. Right. Why? Why should they have to? And yet there's some expectation that that's what they're going to do. I don't know if the same is true for a, a, um, a Caucasian uh, playwright. Uh, I think they can write about whatever they want. So why, shouldn't, why, is it, why are we putting people in boxes? Um, and that's an issue we want to talk about. You know, we want to talk about um, um, Issues around transgender. We just uh, acquired a, a, a new play called Southern Comfort, yes. a new musical, right. which is all about transgender, and I'm actually pushing to have it done in North Carolina, right in the face of uh, uh, House Bill, um, whatever the that bathroom, is. The, the bathroom, bathroom bill, bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But it's, it's also about, you know, activism in the theater and celebrating pioneering artists, whether that be someone like uh, Mark Crowley, you know, from right. Boys in the Band, or Harvey Firestein and, you know, Torch Song Trilogy, or um, Larry Kramer and Normal Heart, um, or others. I mean, that, that's the... the, um, the um, uh, the LGBT uh, 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 part of that, but it's also people like you know Lorraine Hansberry and and and, and I mean, Hall. yes, uh, absolutely. But yeah. but you're talking about pioneers that right. that did it. I mean, Lorraine Hansberry right. wrote in the '50s, and a woman writing in the '50s when there weren't that many women playwrights, and a black woman. I mean. Um, so those are the kind of issues that we want to explore, we want to celebrate, and that's not something that um, is a, um, that, that, that's not something that goes to the Samuel French bottom line. We do these kinds of things because we, we're leaders in the theater. We want to be activists on behalf of, of, of um, playwrights, we want to advocate for their rights, and we want the playwrights to have a forum to discuss those issues, to get clear on it themselves, and to voice many different sides of each issue. Um, uh, and maybe there is no uh, one answer to any of these questions, but at least we know what the issues are and, 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 and to have a lively discussion about it. So that's Bruce Lazarus with me here on the Curtain Call, and, and we're at the Samuel French offices here in um, Manhattan. And it, it's interesting that I just picked up on something when you said that in this this diversity period that we're really are trying to Identity embrace. Week. Identity Week is your thing, but I'm just saying like the diversity embracing that seems to be happening at least much more in theater than it is, let's say, in film, which has been you know the hashtag you know, Oscar so white thing that we went through just this earlier this year. Do you find that in the theater it's easier to have this kind of diversity that we're expressing and seeing and it also be profitable? Because I think that that's the other part to that that makes it worthwhile for people because you can make money talking about other people, other types of people. You know, Kinky Boots, Fun Home, um, you know, they've, they've all shown that different Hamilton have all shown that not only can you be different, not only can you express diversity, but you can also make some money. <laughs> it's like, is that yeah, a factor I, to this? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think anybody are doing, uh, are, are, are writing this kind of material with the sole focus of, I'm going to make money doing this. I'm going to, this is the angle I'm going to use to make money. They're writing it from the heart. They're writing it as, a, as an artistic piece. And the fact that it, um, has legs, as we say in the theater, um, uh, I think is has more to do with the, the the quality of the piece and the artistic integrity of the piece and the um, the direction and, and and producing of the piece and all of that. I don't, I don't think there's a motive behind. Let's find something that's you know. Um, mm, that has diversity in it, uh, unless, of course, that's your mission as a theater. You know, uh, I know there's like um, Minneapolis Mixed Blood Theater is all about you know uh, mixing up uh, the cast, and they've been doing that for a long time before it was uh, before it was fashionable. Right, I love that. I love that. Bruce Lazarus with me here on the curtain call, and we're in the Sa in the Samuel French conference room, 
actually I'm looking around and I'm seeing all of these plays that I want to put in my bag. <laughs> we will send you a goodie bag. <laughs> because I can't help myself. I, I find it really fun, though, because you have been involved in the theater for a long time, haven't you? I have. And I started when I was a child. Yeah? Yes. Doing? <laughs> no, I, I meant I started out as a child. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was not... Uh, my parents took me to the theater when I was... I think the first show I saw, I was eight years old. I saw uh, Sound of Music. My parent, I lived in Brooklyn. My parents took me to see that. And the next year, they took me to see Funny Girl. Uh, not with Barbara, though. She was already... I must, it was a replacement. I think Mimi Hines was in it. I still have the playbills from back then. My mother dated them, you know. So we, there was, we had a reverence for the theater. Mm -hmm. um, and then I remember uh, in high school taking... Um, uh, I used to go with a buddy of mine into the city when we were 13 and see Broadway shows on like a Saturday matinee. And, and then later on I took um, girls on dates to the theater. I thought it was very classy, mm -hmm, right? Take them out for dinner into a Broadway show. <laughs> I, I was I was so um, so so, and um, and uh, but you know then I, I like I didn't participate in, in theater as an actor until college, um, when I discovered it and then I uh, 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 I became a drama major, um, uh, in my uh, in my little group at the University of Miami drama department was uh, Ray Liotta and Stephen Bauer and. Wow. Um, uh, a lot of um, a lot of uh, hot actors that are still working today, and um, so it was. Uh, uh, and out of that grew my my passion for the theater. Um, you know, I actually went out to Hollywood to get involved in film, but I found that I kept being drawn back to the theater. It was something about. There's something about film I didn't like. That as an actor, you were doing everything out of sequence, and it was. Uh, um, there was something magical about the theater that it was happening right there, mm -hmm. live, in the dark, with real people. That th it was just something that touched me in a way that I, I wanted to be a part of. And uh, so I made myself a, a life in the theater. Wow. Wow. Bruce Lazarus with me here on the curtain call. And, but then, you know, you became a lawyer at some point throughout the process. <laughs> it's in your bio. Now, what was what? Where, where in your 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 development, as you were processing the whole theater thing and acting and show business, that the the thought of going to law school hit you? What was the moment that made you decide that's what I'm going to do? Um, actually, I had um, I had been an agent for a while, and I sort of didn't uh, didn't like the the gig. I wanted to do something else. I moved to New York. I was in L.A. as an agent, and this is really, I was really young, and, uh, and I just couldn't find my way in New York. And this is a, uh, unrelated to the theater, but a friend of mine, older, my friend of mine's older brother, I heard became a lawyer. And this guy was as dumb as a stone. And I thought to myself, if that guy could be a lawyer, I could be a lawyer. <laughs> so I, I ended up moving back to L.A., got a job at another agency and went to law school at night and uh, became a, an attorney. And I, I knew there'd be a future in that for me. And eventually I became a, um, uh, an in-house business affairs counsel at Disney um, and um, 
so I, I had my eye on, uh, on a place to go with it. Uh, I knew I wanted to be part of the industry. I just was searching for where, where that was. You know, it's interesting. When I went to college, I used to think to myself, nobody uses their major. You know, you major in whatever, in English and political science, and you go do something else. And I've actually not only used my major, which was drama, um, but I went, to, I went to law school, and I'm an entertainment attorney. I used both things. How fantastic is that? I never really thought, you know, that far in advance, but I actually used it. Or maybe I did think that far in advance. I just maybe just didn't believe that it would happen. But Kept going. Bruce Lazarus with me here on the curtain call. And you know what's so funny? I, I just picked up on something. And I know, I, you know, we've had the opportunity to talk off mic and on mic before. And one of the things can that. You tell them we're actually friends? Yeah, well, they don't need to know, but you can tell we're friends. Come on. You know, what? I've already told them they had a crush on you. What do you want me to do now? What are you going to do? I got a crush on you. That. No, but something about you that I, I found very interesting as I listened to you trace some of your history that you worked as an agent at one point in time and you became a lawyer and now you're, you're doing what you're doing here. And as an agent, you were looking out for your clients and looking out for your artists. And here at this job that you have now, you're doing basically the same thing by being that advocate of some sort for your thing. That's like, you have like a very caring energy about yourself then. Yeah, it's interesting though that because I thought you were going to go someplace else with that. Because in between being an agent for artists mm -hmm. and being uh, an advocate for, uh, for artists now, I was a, um, uh, an attorney for a long time representing producers, which are not, not it's not, you know, uh, opposed to artists, but are, are usually on the other side of the negotiation right. with it. And um, so I've had the, uh, so I, I sort of see the issues from both sides of the coin. I know, you know, what producers want and what artists want and why each of them f feel entitled to ask for what uh, they feel they need and in their lies, um, lies the negotiation, I guess. Yeah, but, but again, it goes to, I guess, the overall thing, because I was having like this, this thought, it's like you have a very caring uh, energy about you that translates into your career like it's it's you do make an effort to truly to truly take care of the artist which are the people that get taken advantage of the most in the world of, of yeah business. you know um i'm gonna i'm gonna um focus in not just on artists but on playwrights mm -hmm. um todd london wrote this book called outrageous fortune a, a detailed account of playwrights and did a lot of research on on uh, their income and, and how they get second productions and how much, how much money they make. And it turns out that the average playwright makes less than $40,000 a year and only about a quarter of that from the theater. They usually have a teaching job or some other job. And so playwrights um, don't make a lot of money. And um, when someone does a play and doesn't pay the royalties, they are not stealing money from Samuel French. Samuel French makes, you know, a 10% commission on what, we, on what we do, and we do all of the administrative work on it and the accounting work on it. We, we put a lot of work into it. But the 90% goes to the playwright. And so when someone's stealing a play, they're taking the grocery money 
away from a playwright. They're taking a playwright who's tr who has a family, the, the kid's college fund. It's not the same, at least, I mean, it is the same, actually, as, as, as taking it from anybody else. Mm -hmm. But when they take, when they bootleg a song and they're taking it away from a record company or a movie and they're taking it away from a big movie studio, I think it, 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 it feels like, uh, they're a giant corporation. What do they care if I, if I watch their thing without paying for it or I download their music without paying for it? Um, it's equally as wrong. However, in the case of a play, it's not some giant corporation because playwrights own their work. It's not some, the Schubert's don't own the play, the Needlelanders don't own the play, Warner Brothers don't own the play. It's this playwright that owns the play and they're trying to make a living. And if they can't make a living in the theater, then they're gonna have to go do something else. And then you lose the great playwrights. Either they become writers of, uh, of movies and television or they get out of the, the, the writing business altogether. In fact, we've just started a, um, um, a new advocacy program called Playwrights Welcome. And um, we've gotten together with the Dramatist Guild and have made this initiative and put it out to theaters all across the country to allow playwrights to go to the theater um, at no cost. And let me let me let me just um, uh, characterize that. We want playwrights to be able to go when when there are unsold tickets to be able to walk up to a box office. And if there are tickets that are seats that are going to go empty, and they are a professional playwright, they're a Dramatist Guild member, mm -hmm. to be able to show their Dramatist Guild card and say, I'd like a courtesy uh, for the profession. Because it's important that playwrights who really cannot afford to go to the theater, they can't afford to buy that ticket, mm -hmm. to have the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of the of the great masters that came before them, to stand on the shoulders of their contemporaries, and to learn What's going on in the theater? Marcia Norman, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, said to me once that she went to the theater early in her career, and I don't recall the play she, she told me she saw, but she said, she walked out going, oh, I know, how to, I know how to do that now. It was something in the way that particular playwright handled something, or the direction, or the design, that gave her an insight into her own work that allowed her to allow it to blossom. Right. And we need to foster this education, this access in playwrights. So we've put out this pr program called Playwrights Welcome. So far we have theaters all over the country. I'm just gonna, actually I have this list in front of me. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you who is participating in Playwrights Welcome across. The Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. Berkeley Rep in Berkeley, California. Center Stage in Baltimore. Dallas Theater Center. The Geffen Playhouse in Los Angeles. The Goodman in Chicago. Hartford Stage in, in Hartford, Connecticut. The Huntington Theater in Boston. Intamin Theater in, in Seattle, La Jolla, um, McCarter Theater in Princeton, New Jersey, Portland uh, Theater Center in Portland, Oregon, Shakespeare Theater Company in Washington, D.C., Seattle Repertory Company in Seattle, Theater Under the Stars in Houston, and the Yale Repertory Theater in New Haven, Connecticut, have all become members of Playwrights Welcome and are willing to support playwrights in their education by providing them with a free ticket 
if there are unsold tickets. Now, we're not asking them for free tickets if they could sell that ticket to someone else. If they could, you know, because an author makes a royalty on that. We don't want to take anything away. Mm -hmm. But if that theater seat is going to go dead, let a playwright see it. You know, playwrights are different, and this is really where I was, uh, the, the, where I wanted to start this conversation, is that it's a playwright that looks at a blank page and creates something from nothing. Without, you know, the 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 director and the actors and the designers and the and all the other people involved in theater make marvelous and necessary contributions to the theater and what they do are derivative works of the playwright's copyright. It's the playwright's vision that is at the heart of our industry, is the heart of our art form. And without playwrights, it doesn't exist. There is nothing for actors to act or directors to direct or designers to design mm -hmm. or for audiences to see. Um, yeah, you know, then it becomes a concert or it becomes poetry, but it's not the theater. And so we need to nurture playwrights. We need to make sure that playwrights have the opportunity not only to see others' works, uh, but through some of our other um, um, programs we have, like the Off-Off-Broadway Festival, we give an opportunity for, for, for young playwrights to get their work seen, to get it out on a stage, um, um, it's all part of this commitment that Samuel French has to the theater as an art form and as a um, viable um, uh, way for uh, theater professionals to make a living. Bruce Lazarus with me. You know, it's funny because you just, I think what I've, I picture and, and and I hope that people pick this up too is that one of the, the biggest things that you guys do seems to be, truly, is to protect the absolute core of what the theater is all about. Like, by helping and protecting the playwright, you literally are saving the rest of the industry, as as we say. Because, as you, you put it, if there's nothing written on a piece of paper, the designers have nothing to do, set people have nothing to create, um, actors have nothing to say, you know, every every piece of the theater that we see as audience members is really because of the playwright. And so if the playwright is not protected, then you're not protecting the art form. That is amazing. So Bruce Lazarus, like Lazarus, I want to call you Lazarus, but it's Lazarus, um, is here hardworking at Samuel French to make sure that the artist, the playwright, is being protected. And... It's wonderful to kind of get a much closer peek into what that really means because I don't think people, you know, there's lots of folks that are sitting here listening to this that are, you know, budding writers themselves. And at that point now, you have something to put in your mind, to put in like that kernel of thought to have now to understand that when you start writing these things down, there is there is protection for you. There's something it's, for you. it's not only protection because I don't, I mean... All of those things that we've just talked about are all things that do, in fact, protect and enhance playwrights, um, their livelihood and, and their work. But the core business of Samuel French is to publish and license um, plays and musicals. So um, uh, we are very active with our, 
uh, we have 50 people here in New York, another 20 people in London, another 10 or 12 people in, in Los Angeles, all focused on licensing uh, our playwrights' work. And that means licensing them in Lord theaters and in and professional theaters around the country, all the way down to high schools and middle schools, to really making sure that their play is getting a second production, a third production, a tenth production, a hundredth production, with a long tail. You know, Broadway is the flash in the pan. You get to be on Broadway, but sometimes you get to be on Broadway and you don't make too much money. And it costs you a lot of money to get there, and you spent two years of your life writing this play, and okay. But the licensing houses, of which we are one, we're not the only one, um, we look after the long tail, the the... The, the way playwrights make a living from their work um, over the course of a lifetime. You know, um, up until the advent of the Dramatists Guild back in, I believe it's the 1930s, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but early on, playwrights sold their plays, like, like screenwriters sell their screenplay to the, to the movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there's some provision for net profits, which in the movie business, I don't know if actually they ever exist, really. In the, in the theater business, it's transparent. Um, but um, playwrights at that moment in time got together and said, we are not going to sell you our play. We're going to own our play. We're going to own it, and we're going to let you license it from us. You get to rent it from us, but don't forget we own it. And they made a sacrifice because instead of getting big money up front, they took ownership. And, um, um, and sometimes playwrights um, suffer from that, suffer that they're not making that big cash up front, but they control their work. And, and, and that is something that I think is one of the the great things that playwrights uh, unique in, in the entertainment business um, have done. Um, they, they've taken a stand to own their work and have paid uh, some consequences for it, but have also reaped the benefits of, of control and for this long tail and being able to make a living over the course of a lifetime. Wow. Well, I could talk to Bruce all day but Bruce, let's, let's keep going. <laughs> Come on, let's have lunch. It's almost that time. But again, Bruce Lazarus here at Samuel French. Uh, you know, again, I, 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 I've, I feel very blessed that I have the opportunities to have conversations with people like you that work the way you do in the industry because it's not only good for me to share that with the people that listen to this podcast, but it's also good for me because I walk away learning something new. I mean, and we've had several conversations before, and it still feels like there's so much more that I'm going to get to learn from you. So now the next time that— I, wanna, I just want to say something before you leave that subject, which is that I am grateful to you— because without you, without your podcast, without um, your interest and your um, uh, ability and willingness to communicate this to a wider audience, um, it's like hiding your light under a bushel. So thanks for, uh, for, for opening up to it and being a, um, um, a, a communicator and a... Um, Part of the advocacy team. Wow. Thank you, Keith Price. Uh, you see, this is why I love me some Bruce Lazarus. Anyway, 
You guys can find out more about Bruce and everything that they do here at Samuel French by going to SamuelFrench.com and follow him on the Twitter, on the Facebook. There is lots of there are a lot of really great things that are happening here at Samuel French, and there are a lot of great opportunities for people outside of the New York area and LA area that they can do to participate with things like Samuel French. Because we were talking a little bit earlier about the Off Off Broadway. Um, festival that happens every year where people can submit around the country you can submit your work to possibly not only be seen but to get published and it's a short play festival short play festival so again things like that are going on all the time at samuel french so i just want to make a pitch for one more thing which is we have an online magazine called breaking character which has fabulous articles about the theater, um, about our industry, about all kinds of issues, uh, many of them written by playwrights. Um, worth checking it out, samuelfrench.com slash breaking character. See, look at that. All, all of this, that's what you're getting. So again, thank you, Bruce, for giving me some time this afternoon to sit and chit and chat and talk about what you do and, and the work that you are doing for playwrights everywhere. So again... Go to SamuelFrench.com to find out everything you need to know about them. And then look for Bruce Lazarus. You might find him somewhere on that website. You're doing a few things. I see a couple of videos you got up there. Got He's got some videos. Isn't this on video? <laughs> this man you know, is a mess. My, my, uh, my best friend told me that I have a great face for radio. <laughs> this He's a mess. This man is a mess, but he's fabulous at the same time. So, again, SamuelFrench.com. Get everything you can from them. Bruce, thank you so much for hanging out with me, and we will be back. I've got a crush on you, sweetie pie, all the day and night time.